Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 80 of Maximize Your Influence. Steve Olson here, along with a very busy Kurt Mortensen, who is live and in the field. We're going to get a, a live with Kurt segment and you know, a cheesy like news microphone or something for you to do the <laughs> podcast on now. How's that sound? It makes me sound more official. Is it more credible or is it uh, less credible? I guess it will have to find out from the listeners. Yeah, well, eventually you're going to need to do it from your desk because they might figure out that you're out looking at wakeboard boats or something and you're not really doing <laughs> something important. Well, that still means I'm out in the field. That's just uh, something that's uh, priority. you got to have your priority. <laughs> it's such a vague description. Out in the field, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're just laying on a blanket and having a picnic in the field. Right? You <laughs> could do a lot with that. It makes it sound like you're undercover in a car dealership looking at charts and graphs of salesmen's <laughs> numbers and things. But, uh, yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's what I'm doing. That is, really. really. Oh, oh, that is what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let me put the charts away. Okay, we're good. <laughs> If you want to take a stab, listeners, at what Kurt's doing, email it to MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com. If you get it right, we'll give you a free year to Persuasion University. Hey, there we go. Or University of Persuasion or whatever. Should I know what it's called? UniversityofPersuasion.com would be the website. Yeah. There you go. You should know that. Yeah. I should know that by now. Well, everybody, go there. Go to UniversityofPersuasion.com. And learn more about the different programs we have available, many of them free, many of them just a couple simple things that you can do and implement in your life every week. And when you think about it like this, if you make little changes every week and you do it for a full year, imagine how much farther along you'll be as a persuader and you can do it all for the price of uh, less than a Honda Civic, if we remember Less than a Honda Civic, that is right. Yeah, if you can prove... Your persuasion skills, by 2% a week, you will double your income every year. Yep, yep, and there you go. There you go. So we're going to blaze ahead here with Kurt in the field, with myself running the top-notch Persuasion IQ studio for the podcast. So <laughs> today we've got an article that Kurt wants to re return to his roots and do the article. Speaking of, cue the Urkel. All right, Urkel, go. <laughs> And there's Urkel. Begrudgingly, Kurt has an article about what you can do if you can't remember somebody's name, which is great. I need help with this. What do we do? We know that when you mention someone's name, it triggers a pleasure center in their brain, and it's important, but a lot of times we can't remember names. It's a function of memory and a function of listening, and this one's an interesting article done by Georgia Institute of Technology. They were looking at the ability to concentrate and the background noise, if that would impede memory, especially as somebody ages. So they found that background music did not influence the memory of college-age participants, but the older the adults got, it was more and more difficult for people to remember names. So it was an age thing. So I think part of that is an age thing with the brain. I think part of that, too, I think that generation can multitask a little bit better than the older generation. And they found that when they... We're trying to remember names, showing pictures, doing retention that even for college-age kids, a lot of times there was too much confusion. They couldn't remember too many things happening versus when they turned off the music or the background noise, it was much easier for them to remember faces and names. In fact, they have a name for that. It's called the cocktail party effect. There's your uh, term of the day. 
It was basically that when there are so many things happening, different conversations, the different food, different so many things happening at a cocktail party that you're only really able to focus and hone on one thing at a time. Even though there's a lot of background music or noise, our focus and our attention is pretty much one at a time. And that's true with remembering faces, remembering names, trying to do different things. Try to tone that down, try to focus in, and it actually helps in your retention of faces and names. Well, there you go. Now we can remember them, right? You still have to listen. You still have to repeat it and put it into your long-term memory. But if you reduce the background noise or you're doing some type of memorization, getting alone, staying focused helps you, especially as your brain ages. Okay, cool. So it, use of the name triggers that pleasure center in the in the brain. I mean, do you have to disclose that to your spouse if you're going around triggering everybody's pleasure centers? <laughs> well, you train to trigger your spouse's pleasure center or somebody else's pleasure center? I guess we have to... Yeah. You're going around the house saying your wife's name. I guess that would work. Well, yeah, yeah, it, that's good. If you it, can't... Basically, what, what I mean by that is that it, it, the MRI show that they feel better about you and themselves, they just feel better. I guess we'll right. call that a pleasure center. If you can't trigger your spouse's pleasure center, then there are other problems, right? <laughs> and if you can't remember their name, yeah. I mean. <laughs> We're going down a strange road, but I guess that would be true. <laughs> yes, it wouldn't be the first time we've been down this road. <laughs> so now we've offended our group of people. I think we're good. Yeah, yeah, a little bit risque. <laughs> so it's uh, if you're offended by that, then congratulations. You made the list along with various nationalities, body types, all kinds of people that we've offended. So. Okay, so great. Thank you for the article, Kurt. We want to continue forward. Everybody, what we've been doing the last few weeks is giving you the cheat sheet for the Persuasion IQ test. If you don't know what that is, you need to go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Scroll to the bottom and you'll see a link there where you can take the Persuasion IQ test. So if you want to see how, how smart you are on the intellectual level, what you really know, your book knowledge about persuasion, that's a great place to go. And we're giving away some of the answers and, of course, building upon those, giving you some more practical information you can use while you're out persuading and triggering all these pleasure centers. So let's throw another question out there today, Kurt. And I would certainly hope that you know the answer to this, but I'll, I'll ask Are the you, question as formality. All right, well, okay, put me to the spot. Let's see if I know the persuasion IQ question. Yes, and, and maybe you could get some Jeopardy music going or something for yeah, later on. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So when you show your product or service to your client, what should you do to increase the perceived value? A, show them the savings first. B, show the most expensive item first. C, show the least expensive item first. D, show the average price first. E, show them the benefits. Tick tock. What do you think? I will take B, show the most expensive item first. But isn't that offensive? Won't that scare them away? Blah, blah. You know, you get the idea here. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just saying a rookie's fight on price. You have to change that perceived value. They compare it to a Rolls Royce, to a used car. They'll have this knee-jerk reaction. It's called the comparison effect. The higher you start, or the lower you start, depending if you're in a negotiation, you're adjusting their perception. Now, you've got to be careful of the insult zone. Obviously, offering a million dollars for a car would be out there. But you got to be able to justify that number. And when you can, it adjusts the perception of value. It adjusts what you're going to get in a negotiation. You have to adjust what they're comparing your product, your service, your house against. 
Right. I run into that a lot when I go buy houses from people because very, very frequently the number that's going to make sense for me is well into the insult zone of of prospects. So, so much of what I have to do is try to get them to cough up some numbers so I know what their expectations are and I can approach that a little bit more delicately. And uh, I, I was taught to tell them, and I think this works pretty good, is say, hey, tell me a little bit about where you'd like to be on price. How much money would you like in your pocket here? And some people will start to tell you and others want to play poker, right? Because that's old school. Mm-hmm. We've talked about that on, on lots of episodes in the past. Don't be the first one to disclose a number. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> and that's not always true. Uh, sometimes it's very beneficial to be the first one to disclose a number. And I've tried various approaches. One of them being, wait, you want to sell a house, but you don't know what you want to sell it for? I mean, you haven't thought about that? And you say that, and that's eh, get some numbers out. But finally tell them, well, look, I can come up with a number, but about without knowing where you want to be, the only thing I can tell you is that this offer is going to really benefit me. <laughs> and that's all <laughs> I can guarantee you. And that sometimes gets people to cough it up. But, I mean, what are some pointers you have for staying out of the insult zone so this technique can actually work? Well, first of all, you mentioned a great thing. Sometimes in negotiation, I think most of the time, assuming you've done your research, it's great to go first because you've decided the starting point of the negotiation and you actually get better terms statistically. And the way to get out of the insult zone a lot of times is show them that the number was not pulled out of the air. You can say the standard show or based on the comparables, based on this study or based on this, you could say something like you could do the way the number looks because offering $100,000 is not as persuasive as $102,407, right? Odd numbers are always more persuasive. So if you could adjust the number to be a little more odd, if you can let them know where the number comes from, here's the formula that I use to come to that number, then you reduce the chance of getting in the insult zone. Sure, sure. So trying to really express to them that I'm not pulling this out of the air. This is this is me running some uh, very scientific data, and that's how I got there. And Probably the good question is when they do act insulted, sometimes that might be just an act. Like you said, it's the shock, right? We have to look so shocked, yeah. right? It's one of those dirty deeds we talk about where they just, no matter what you say, like, oh, it's all about robbery, and they faint, right? And they start foaming at the mouth yeah, or whatever yeah. it is that they do. Sometimes they've been taught that in negotiation training. Sometimes it's true, and sometimes you just have to do it. But you've established the value where you're at, the, the starting point of the negotiation, and that's very, very helpful. We even see this, you mentioned real estate agents, what they call setup properties, where real estate agents will ask you, you know, what are you looking to spend? You're like, well, $250,000, and they'll take you to a home that's worth $250,000, and it's a dump in a bad neighborhood, and it reeks of cat urine, like, but everything's bad. And you're like, no way, no way, no way. Then they take you to the $250,000 house, the one they want you to buy, and it looks better, and the carpet, better neighborhood, but that contrast or that comparison actually makes that house look better than it actually is. Yeah, okay, good, good. So let's say that somebody does do the horrified reaction, the shock, right? Because you do have to come up with a number or some kind of a proposition. It doesn't have to be money. It's it's just something that you know. The other side is either genuinely offended or maybe they're pretending to be offended as a as a negotiation ploy. Is your response the same regardless of their intent there, or is there a different way to respond? Well, I'd change it up. I'd try to find out is it a knee-jerk reaction or is it just a trained response. And you could usually do that with a question like, oh, wow, I can see that 
that wasn't what you're looking for. How far apart are we, or what exactly are you looking for? And that's the moment of truth. They say, well, not that. That's just insulting. And they don't really, they're just trying to buy time, or they're really not answering the question versus, well, that's $10,000 lower than I expected. Then, you know, okay, now we've got something to work with. We've got their ballpark. We've got the information. Now we can start the negotiation. We can start the persuasion process. Right, right. The, the key is is to ask questions, and even if they are offended, say, oh, I can tell that you're not crazy about that. Now, let's make sure we're talking apples to apples here, right? I mean... I mean, validate. Okay, they're shocked. So, well, I'm surprised. I mean, you know, based on my studies and based on this research and this number, I thought that was a pretty fair offer. Tell me why you're feeling this way. What's going on? And realize for things like when we talk about homes today, that there's an emotional attachment here. What they think it's worth and what it's actually worth, there's a big discrepancy. They're not, well, I've got custom cabinets in the, in the garage and I'm leaving the sandbox and I'm doing this. And there's that emotional thing to where you have to adjust the perception of reality because what they think it's worth and what it's really worth can be two very different things. Oh, oh, yeah. That's welcome to the salesperson's dilemma. Is It's a permanent crusade to adjust the expectations of the prospect. I mean, that's what you do. Welcome to, welcome to persuasion. We have to get that dialogue going. And this so much, so much of this comes down to that fact of we need to be asking questions and they need to be answering the questions and talking a lot. And if you find yourself being the one making statements and being the one doing most of the talking, chances are this persuasion journey you're on is just not on the right road. You're not going to get anywhere doing this unless you get them to be talking about the problem and what they've done to solve it and what they think should be done. That's the direction that this needs to go. It does. It's adjusting that perception of value. It could be the perception of time. We see this with TVs. They even did a study with pool tables to where people come in, they're expecting to spend X amount of dollars, but they adjust their perception. It's interesting. When people would come into this pool table store, they would show them the cheapest table first, and the approximate sale was $550. And the next week, they showed them the most expensive table first, and then the average sale was over $1,000. Just yep. by adjusting that perception, we see that with cars, we see that with TVs. You want the $1,000 TV, they're going to show you the $5,000 TV. Statistically, you're going to leave with the $2,000 TV because they've adjusted your perception of value. And even in real estate, they, you might want the $300,000 home, but they might show you the $500,000 home, and you might buy the $350,000 home at the same type of thing. Isn't it an effective way so that you can tell somebody, say, you visit with them, get an idea for what they want, and say, well, why don't we show you a couple of options? Be very transparent about how that that's what's happening so they know that you're not just so blatantly corralling them, but say, now this one is a little more than what you, you wanted to be. I thought you'd want to see it because blah, 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 right? And then you can kind of trade off into it. And like you said, statistically, you end up at the higher price point that what, than what they thought they were going to spend. Oh, yeah, I would definitely reveal that and let them know what you're doing and as far as showing them the different houses to get a kind of feel of the neighborhood or the area or the square footage. And you got to be very careful because it can quickly turn into the dirty deed category. We see people do this in real estate since we're talking about that, where if you want $300,000 for the home, you'll have somebody show up and offer you 100 The next person will offer 110 The next person maybe 120 The next person 95 They're probably all with the same company. What they're doing is they're trying to adjust your perception of the value of your property where just your brain's going nuts. You're thinking, well, I must be charging way too much. Yeah, I think that happened to me the other day. <laughs> yeah. So we asked the IQ question, and the correct answer as far as 
what should we do to increase the perceived value? The answer was show the most expensive item first. But we had some of these other these other decoy answers of showing them the savings, showing them the least expensive, the average, the benefits. Do any of these answers have merit? Obviously, we want to go with the correct answer here. Should we spend time on any of these others? Well, rookies always want to fight on price and a few other things. Benefits are very, very important. But the key thing here is the perception of value. You've got to start as high as possible. Here's a good example. When someone's buying a dress that's on sale, there are probably four different prices on the price tags, and that is the perception. Oh, it was $200, then it was $100, now it's $25. They leave it there, so wow, it was once a couple hundred dollars, now it's $25. they are getting this great value versus covering it up, and the same thing's true here to where people can start with that value, just like an infomercial. They're going to start at $200 and go down to $50. You're like, oh, for, it's worth $200. I'm getting it for $50. Plus, there's more with this, this, and this bonus. I'm getting $1,000 worth of stuff for $50. Then it becomes a no-brainer. Right, right. I told you on the podcast, listeners know that my wife and I recently remodeled our, our main floor of our house. And so we went to a furniture store. They've got them all over the place here. I think they're in Nevada and a few other Western states called R.C. Willie. You're familiar with it. You know it. And uh, I think it's mostly here in the Western United States. And it, it was funny. I was I was telling my wife, wow, we could do a whole podcast on on just walking through this place because it, it was just so insane. The first thing I noticed, Kurt, was, wow, everything's on sale. <laughs> <laughs> They've got these higher numbers and sale price, and it's always slashed down. For me, that was kind of a blunder because I knew that everything's on sale all the time, so that means nothing else. That, that's how I processed it. Do you think the average consumer views it that way, or is it actually effective to just throw that big inflated number out there, even though most people know it's total bull? Well, they overdo it, obviously, and if I were them, I would have at least a couple of your high-end items not on sale because some people's default settings are going to buy the most expensive one because that's quality. They're going to buy it no matter what. But that does. If you're buying a bed that was worth it once a thousand dollars and now it's six hundred dollars, it's established that hey, this used to be a thousand dollars at some sale. It creates some urgency and it creates some value. Sounds like they're doing it the wrong way in a lot of ways, but there is some merit to what they're doing. Yeah, and I've got a blunder about those guys that we'll feature on next week's show because it uh, that that place. Why we ought to go there, Kurt? We we get enough show material for the next year. Yeah, we can do some secret shopping, and they're always on my major blunder list. I've I could tell you stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, them and every other furniture store. It's it's exactly. it's rough racket. They're, they're up there with used car salesmen sometimes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> well, now we've offended the the furniture people. Anyway. Yeah, they deserved it. They're right there with the Actually, lawyers. I think the, the car salesmen are more offended because we put them in the same category. <laughs> <laughs> we could offend them all and compare them to congressmen. There we go. Now we just uh, tripled our offensive rate. Yeah. I mean, is there a more despised profession than a congressman or a politician? I mean, just nobody likes those guys. It's just... Yeah, they're bottom of the list. Yes. And and that's funny. Uh, Kurt and I have tried not to be political on the show. I don't know that we're uh, successful a lot of the time, but we're watching right in front of us now a pretty interesting PR maneuvering happening with... You know, 2016 is, you know, coming around the corner and and some of the presidential candidates are starting to to emerge. And we've got uh, Hillary Clinton in this email scandal. Have you been paying attention to this thing? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, she's uh, 
it's interesting how both sides play that out, but yeah, I'll be interested how that plays out. Yeah, I mean, if you're a supporter, then she hasn't done anything wrong. If you didn't like her, then she's the devil all over again. <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty interesting to see. And so we'll watch it. She had a big hearing today where she was, uh, you could tell she was making some calculated decisions about what she was going to do with the, with the emails. This, frankly, it reminded me a lot of uh, Romney in the last election where he decided he wasn't going to reveal his tax returns and he knew he was going to take a hit in the polls, but he made the calculation that stonewalling this and everybody speculating about it is not going to be as bad as releasing it. And it looks to me like Hillary Clinton has made that same decision of, I'm going to stonewall, I'm not going to put this stuff out there, and that's better than putting it out there. And they, they just have to know that they're going to get beat up for it, and it's a calculated PR decision. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, they just hope it goes away. I'll be interested how it plays out. Yeah, yeah. Well, why don't we queue up the Homer? Homer, go! Don't, don't, don't! This one's you. A prominent hotel chain did not make you very happy. I guess you don't know how to open the bathroom door or something? Yeah, well, I went to Chicago last week, and the first problem was two degrees. And in the Windy City, coming... That's growing a up problem. in California, I don't, yeah, and I made the rookie mistake of going outside with my hair still wet, and when your hair freezes relatively instantly, it causes a major headache, so I had some challenges with that, other than the temperature went well, but here's what happened, so I woke up early enough, different times, so I'm going to sleep as long as possible, I'm going to shower, quickly get to a bend, it was like four or five blocks from me, walked from this, I'm going to name names here, the Crown Plaza. And if you're listening, Crown Plaza, you can make this right. But You're on notice, so Crown Plaza. Yeah, they're on notice. So I get up to uh, get, I gotta take a shower and brush my teeth, got to shave, and the bathroom door won't open. And, you know, I've stayed at hundreds of hotels, and I've never had the bathroom door not open. And I'm in a rush. I'm scheduled to a tea. I don't have a lot of time. So I'm trying to muscle. It's one of those ones that slides back and forth. It doesn't open. And I couldn't get it open. I tried to muscle it. I tried to do this. And here I got to be, all right, call the front desk. Oh, I can't open my bathroom door. Feeling stupid. It actually made me feel stupid. Oh, do you need maintenance? you need someone to come and open your bathroom door? I'm like, really? Come up here and open the bathroom door. I had to wait. Someone comes up, and I find out, it's, oh, yeah, this happens all the time. He was kind of chuckling. I'm like, dude, what if I would have been stuck inside the bathroom and couldn't get out? Right? But he was kind of chuckling. He was fixing it, and he didn't make me feel any better that I couldn't open the bathroom door. And then not only that, Crown Plaza never mentioned it. They didn't ask me if it was fixed. They didn't try to make it right. I was the stupid one that couldn't open the bathroom door. All they had to do was acknowledge it, try to make it right. But they didn't try. They didn't care. They tried to humiliate me. That is the blunder of the week. Those employees had no stake whether you ever stay there again. It didn't matter to them. And if, if that's a cancerous culture, then uh, everybody go short on whatever company owns Crown Plaza. The hospitality. Yeah. <laughs> it is. There was no ownership of anybody. They didn't care. I mean, even a phone call apologizing or free rooms or something. Just Again, I'm pretty flexible. Just make it right. You blew it. Acknowledge it. Make it right. Good to go. I'm not mentioning you on the podcast to the 10 millions of people that listen, or only some rounding up, that listen to the podcast that now know that there's a major blunder with that hotel chain. Well, that's a good point, and it reminds me, why don't, this is a surprise, we didn't talk about this before the show, cue the ninja. Oh, ninja, go. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I'm trying to think, uh, I'm wondering, is Marriott Hotels, do they own Crown Plaza? 
No, they're separate. Okay, okay, because this wouldn't make sense if that was the case. I've been able to kind of give a pretty good look to Marriott the last six weeks because I've stayed there five times in the last six weeks at different Marriott's. And I've noticed that when the the check-in is very smooth, and if you call, they call you by name. They they poke at your pleasure center there, right? So they do that, and they call, you know, Mr. Olson, how can we make your day fantastic today, right? I got a call from them on my cell phone from somebody who said they were the manager, just wanted to check in, make sure everything was okay. We're excited to have you here at our hotel. And I was speaking to a group of people, and I got a personalized note up on the table in front of the room from the banquet people. Uh, they made, they paid a lot of attention to me and took a proactive role to make everything okay. And it sounds like it was a, a totally different experience. My bathroom door opened just fine, and if it wouldn't have, they were all over it, and it was their fault, and please excuse, the, you know, what can we do? Uh, totally contrasting experiences. So listeners, take note here, and this is true with anything. It could be a furniture store. It could be a hotel. It could be anything. When the first couple of things go wrong, that's all you're looking for is for things that are going wrong. But you came, the first couple of things went right. That's all you found were things that right, and they are the ninja of the week. It is, it is so true. It's that first impression. It clicks a little lens over, and that's what you see your whole experience through. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's going to do it for the week, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of Maximize Your Influence. Send us your feedback, your nominations for ninjas, for blunders, whatever, to MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com. As always, please subscribe to the show on iTunes or on Windows Marketplace, or you can subscribe on Stitcher Radio. We can be heard there as well. And tell your friends. Always helps to get more downloads for the show, helps us keep cranking them out. And we, like I said, we appreciate you listening. We'll catch you next week on another episode of Maximize Your Influence. See you next week.